0: turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you're visiting or new among us uh, here for the first time, we're uh, kind of just into a new series that we're going to be in for quite some time uh, in the book of Acts. And so hence, we're just in the second chapter uh, this morning. So you won't have missed too much. And we'll try and pick up even some of last week uh, as we uh, dive into what we've got in front of us today. So Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 36 through to verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through to 47, which is the end of the chapter. It's kind of uh, the end of Peter's sermon in response to the supernatural pouring out of God's spirit. Um and then the people's response and what happened after. Peter concludes his message by saying this summary statement. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation, so that those who received his word were baptised. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul. those who are being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can open your word together this morning and have you speak to us from it by your spirit for our eternal glory, sorry, our eternal good and your eternal glory. Father, would you would you do that? Would you show us this kindness and this mercy this morning? by taking your word and bringing it home to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's three big things, beginning with R, three big realities that Christians often talk about. Well, two at least out of the three, and one of them probably is a bit neglected. The first one is the resurrection of Jesus. and We see them all in this passage. The resurrection of Jesus. That's one that Christians often talk about and should talk about and focus on and rejoice in and all the benefits of that and so on and then of course there is the return of Jesus Jesus coming back and obviously obviously that's something that we uh, often needs to be part of our thinking and our conversations and our discussions and our desiring and longing for him to return and put everything right but there's probably one that also begins with the word are ah, that we often don't think about much and often don't live in the reality of day by day in a way in which we're meant to and that is this one the reign of jesus the reign of jesus See, yes he is resurrected but after his resurrection as we see in the book of acts he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of god we're told until all his enemies become his footstool which is the return of christ at the end so he's reigning and we saw this last week now This moment, as we sit here this morning, Jesus is both Lord and Christ over all he has made and over us this morning. Today, as we continue our series in Acts, which we've called Sent, the risen and reigning Jesus has sent his followers the first ones, the apostles, into his world to continue his mission. And what we've been seeing last week and this week is that Jesus is continuing his mission no longer from earth. He has ascended and risen and is seated at the right hand of God. No, he's continuing his mission from heaven, present, active, now, through his redeemed people, By the power of the Holy Spirit as they proclaim his name. Hence, why the book of Acts has been called by some the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus. Not so much the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus through his apostles. And last week and this week, that's exactly what we've seen. Remember last week we saw the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the apostles, those gathered there in Jerusalem, in a completely new way, quantitatively and qualitatively, like never before, with the associated phenomena as a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We, we saw the proclaiming of Jesus by the apostle uh, Peter uh, Jesus risen from the dead and reigning from heaven. And now we're kind of looking a bit closer at the response of the people when the reality of Jesus risen and reigning dawns on them and lands for them. So this week we're going to kind of uh, finish this section off before Darnie, uh, God willing, if he recovers from COVID in time, uh, we'll kick into chapter 3 next week. So we're going to look closely at what happens when the gospel is proclaimed, and when the Spirit is at work as it's proclaimed in those who hear it. And we're going to see two really important things as we do that. And the first of those is this the gospel brings the church to life. The gospel brings the church to life. What we see in response to Peter's preaching is nothing less than. Than stunning. Have a look at verse 41. You've got your Bible open there. If you haven't, it'd be good to have it open or on your phone or whatever. Have a look at verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Don't just skip over that. 3,000 souls heard and received the word and were baptized. And at that point in time, much more so than now, although still to some extent, baptism was a humbling act by a follower of Jesus for two very clear reasons. One reason was it was something that Jews considered necessary only for Gentile converts, only for those outside of Israel who came to worship the true and living God, only for the unclean or the defiled ones, if you like this ceremony of washing. Uh, So uh, that was one reason why it was humbling. Secondly, for the people who are now getting baptised, many of them who are Jews, it was they were getting baptised in the very name of the one they had previously rejected, the one they had been totally wrong about, as we all often are. And now they see it. Now they see who Jesus is more clearly than ever before. And the one whom they rejected is now the one whom they are humbling themselves before and trusting in and being saved by and being baptized in his name. See, clear evidence here of repentance, isn't there? Of people turning from where they were and turning to Jesus and trusting in Jesus. Clear evidence. Complete and radical change of both attitude and action. That's what repentance is meant to look like. Can you imagine this baptism event? Seriously. Can you imagine it? 3,000 souls. Imagine this. I mean compare it with ours. Like we if we have 6 people getting baptized at one of our baptism services, we are we're like stoked. Things are going off, like people are getting saved and being baptised, whatever. If that, I mean, we're we're grateful and praise God for one baptism, but if we had six, we're like, whoo, you know, wow, things are really moving. God's really acting. 3,000, 3,000 people getting baptised. Imagine some of the other problems you might have as a result of this work of Jesus from heaven through his apostles, through the proclaiming of the gospel brought home by the power of the Spirit. Those are some of the other problems you might have as a result. Um, how are you going to um, disciple all these new converts? <laughs> how are you going to kind of, you know, get them kind of connected in in church life and serving? Or How are we going to be hospitable to them all? Just You know, like some, some people pray for revival. Pray for revival and for the, you know, what you need to deal with revival if revival happens after it. Because it's, there'll be a lot of work. Praise God, it'd be awesome, but there'd be a lot to do. But notice, friends, this is, this is another one of those peaks that we talked about last week. The Bible's not a flat book. Every so often, God ex- this phenomenon explodes onto the scene as God does something in his saving purposes in history. And, and, and it, just, it just goes crazy, and here we have it. But I want us to see how clearly this came about. Verse 36. Let all those, sorry, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. See how it came about? It came about as a result of the proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection as Savior and Lord. That's how it came about. Evidenced by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the apostles at Pentecost. And it was the proclaiming of Jesus that resulted in what happened here. Verse 37, now when they heard this, we're told they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. The idea here is that they were deeply convicted and conscience stricken. Not only that, but they also seemed to be at a loss As to what to do. And how to to fix this. Peter tells them to give up on trying to save themselves, doesn't he? And to look to Jesus. The very one they'd rejected. And the very one, Peter says, they'd crucified. To repent and be baptised in his name for the forgiveness of sins. And not only that. That would be enough, wouldn't it? Given what they've done to the only Son of God, direct involvement in his crucifixion, wouldn't it be enough if God said, turn to him and trust in him and I'll forgive your sins, including this? That'd be enough. But look at the grace and generosity of God. Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Not someone else's, yours. And you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. God will give them the gift of his powerful presence by his Holy Spirit. The very ones who crucified his son. That's why we call grace amazing. This is what it looks like. Peter reminded them that they had put Jesus to death, and now this same Jesus offers them salvation. This is amazing grace, friends. One author, David Gooding, puts it this way They had murdered God's Son, he was offering them his spirit. They had crucified the second person of the Trinity. He was offering them the third. They had thrown God's son out of the vineyard in the hope of inheriting the vineyard for themselves. Now he was inviting them to receive God's spirit, not just into their vineyard but into their very hearts to be, the under, to be their undying life and their guarantee of an infinite and imperishable inheritance. Step back for a minute. Jesus is risen and reigning and continuing his work of salvation from heaven. And he's doing so through the gospel brought home to people's lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is doing through his people. Through his gospel, by his spirit. And so again we see this 3,000 souls added as this happens. All of the sudden where there wasn't anything, now there's a church. Not a small church either as we've noticed. It's a pretty big church. In fact it sounds like they met together in their homes in smaller groups. And they meant together in a large group. There's a church. Why is there a church? How is there a church? Well, because the gospel brings the church to life. As the message of Jesus' death and resurrection is proclaimed or spoken or shared, Jesus is at work by his spirit in people's lives through the message. And as a result, people are saved, are brought to life, and added to his church. You notice that phrase? It actually happens a couple of times. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the apostles added to the number day by day. No. That's not what it says, is it? And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The gospel brings the church to life. Yesterday I was up, I don't know how early it was, but took the dog out as you do in the morning, and I was confronted with this. It was amazing. It was beautiful, I took a pano, I just stood there, it was just such a, you know, every time you see, sometimes you see a rain, it was just one of those moments where I was able to stop and think about the promise of God, the blessing of God and so on. And of course these come when there's lots of rains coming and there has been lots of rains coming and many of you will be rejoicing in those rains coming, particularly if you're a gardener. Why are you rejoicing? Well, because the water from the tap just doesn't seem to have the same effect on your garden as when God sends the rain. As the rain sent from him comes, everything bursts into life. My lawn will grow an inch a day, which is good, sort of. Friends, this is what happens when we receive the gospel for ourselves. When the good news of Jesus, sent by God, is received by us. When it's brought home in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And we respond to it, brought to life. And we become part of his church. His new people. It's breathtaking grace, isn't it? You know, because sure, we weren't there. We didn't have direct involvement in the crucifixion of Jesus. But one of the songs we sing kind of helps us think about perhaps our planet. It was my sin that held him there. Until it was accomplished. Until he said those words, it is finished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. It's breathtaking grace. This passage helps us understand the church too, doesn't it? What it is and what it's not. (laughs) What it is is a gathering of people brought to life and brought together through this gospel. What it is is it's God's church and it's the fruit of his saving work. And clearly it's his idea. It's not something we just go to. It's something we see here that we're saved into. The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. So newsflash, it's not an optional extra for us if we know Jesus Christ as Lord. You know, it must grieve God. And I think it ought to grieve us. How many people think about church often? Outside the church and the community, looking in, how they often think about it, what they think it is, and they've probably got some really good reasons to think not great thoughts about the church because the church hasn't always, you know, covered itself in glory. Neither have we as Christians. But more so, I think it's more grieving that some among us who would say they are Christians. Yet seem to have so little love or loyalty for the church. Treating it as kind of a service provider. Pray that God will help us to see, even this morning afresh, the beauty of what he has brought to life. Use that gardening concept if you want to help you see. The other really helpful thing about this is that it helps us understand evangelism. It helps us understand reaching the lost. Because what we see is really helpful because we see what our role is and what our role isn't. <laughs> In terms of our message, being Jesus, and our method, being prayerful, proclamation, you see... What we see here is that we are simply enabled by God, encouraged by one another to seek to tell others about Jesus, knowing that it is God who brings people to life. We can't bring anyone to life. You've been around long enough, you've worked that out. If, you've had, you know, if your children have reached a certain age, you've probably worked out, mm, it's going to take more than my clever parenting to make them Christian. Our role as parents, our role as witnesses, our role as friends, our role as colleagues is to prayerfully seek to proclaim the gospel and to live it out and to pray for God to bring people to life. I reckon that makes it almost doable if our role is to just seek to tell others about who Jesus is, to point other people to Jesus, not to correct their lives, not to try and make them more moral or something. That's not our role. God will do that when he rescues people and brings them alive. They'll be be what we call the fruit of the Spirit. When that happens, our role is to point them to Jesus. Our role is to, to make that the central thing we say to people. But we seek to share with people. And in, in word and in deed, they both have to go together. Some, some people say, um, what is it? Um, proclaim Jesus, use words if you have to. Something like that. That's actually, that's not helpful. That's actually false. Yes, we do need to live it out in front of people. But they're not just going to come up to us and go, you know what? I've seen the way you care for people. I want to become a Christian. They need to know what it means to become a Christian and what the one who has done for them that they might trust in. Now, our good deeds will hopefully create a context for the words. But it's word and deed, not one or the other. So, firstly, what we see here is that the gospel brings the church to life. But secondly, the gospel shapes the church's life. Do you see that there in verse 42? to 47, particularly verse 42, where we're going to focus on. And what did they do after these, these 3,000 people? What did they do once they became Christians? Well, thirty, forty-two, 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. What did they do? What did this infant church do? Well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, let's just slow down for a sec and look at that word, devoting. Uh, literally, the translation is, and they were devoting themselves. So it's ongoing, not just a the once-of. They were devoting themselves. And the idea of that word devotion is that, is that of persistence and perseverance, funnily enough which tells you something about what this looks like straight away, doesn't it? Devoting themselves in this way was firstly clearly intentional. To persist in something, you must know and have thought through what it is you're going to persist in. And it must mean you have a clear resolve about what the focus of your life is going to be. So devoting themselves in this way was clearly resolute. Sorry, resolved and resolute, which you know to persevere must mean you must be resolute. If you've had to stick at something that's pretty hard, you know that you need to be resolute about that. These guys, it wasn't going to be a walk in the park for them to be the people of God. Many of them were Jews, many many of them had embraced the Messiah that the Jews had rejected. Many of them could be considered therefore apostate and having abandoned their Jewish heritage. Persecution was coming to the church in the book of Acts. Stephen is going to be stoned to death. This wasn't going to be a walk in the park for them. So this kind of devotion that is mentioned here involved resolve and resoluteness. This is what the church was marked by. Not flippy floppy, not kind of wishy-washy. Clear, resolved, resolute about what they were doing. What were they resolute about? Well, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were resolute that. Which is shorthand, it wasn't just you know what the apostles were teaching kind of that week. It's shorthand for all that the apostles taught about Jesus. Jesus had said to them, he would give them, the apostles, the spirit in a particular way for their ministry of teaching the kingdom realities going forward. Teaching the gospel going forward. Writing the scriptures and so on. So this teaching is about his life, his miracles, uh, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, and so on, which is what we call the apostolic gospel—the body of teaching about Jesus. So they devoted themselves; they were resolute to that. Now we might think that sounds a little bit basic. I wonder how you know—how long was that course? You know, was it two units? Was it six weeks? But that couldn't be further from the truth, because the apostles' teaching actually brings together all the revelation of God in Scripture. It brings it all together. In fact, what they say about Jesus, is, this is really important, is, if you like, the interpretive key to the whole Bible, to all of God's Word. And so they devoted themselves to it as the apostles passed on their teaching. And not just so that their heads could be full of it, but so that their lives could be shaped by it. Which is what happens, right? Which is what happens when you give yourself to the teaching of the apostles about Jesus, the study of it. The application of it, the learning of it, the growing in it, the encouraging of one another in it, guess what? It's going to not just fill your head, hopefully, that's, that, that would be an error. It's going to shape your life as well. As Jesus continues his mission from heaven on earth, through his apostles, by his spirit, In the lives of his people down through the ages. It's the interesting thing, isn't it? When we think about Jesus reigning, when I study the apostles' teaching, when I learn the apostles' teaching, what's happening? Am I just reading some words on a page? No, no, if I'm prayerfully engaging with it, together with others, and I'm looking to God to work in me, Jesus is actually at work as I'm engaging with the teaching of the apostles, continuing in his mission, growing us as disciples, growing us as his followers. How awesome is that? Does that maybe change the way we think about our personal time with God in prayer and Bible reading at all? Uh, From... uh, Oh God! I've got ten minutes, you know. I've got to get this done, um, or you know, oh, it's just a chore. I've got plenty of time, but I've, I've just got it. I've set it aside. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to read the Bible. I'm going to read these three chapters this week on my reading plan and tick it off. That's all important, but let's not miss the reigning Jesus. Bring his word home to us by his spirit as we do that. What's called maybe a time of communion with God. Fellowship with Jesus. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and that shaped everything about them. It meant they devoted themselves to the fellowship then because they were coming together around the apostles' teaching. Guess what they were doing? They were sharing then in the common life of being a follower of Jesus. That's what fellowship means. It doesn't mean just a cup of of coffee after church or tea, if that's your preference. Um, It doesn't mean just that. It means sharing with one another the common life, which might mean confessing your struggle to one another, asking for prayer from one another, sharing where God has been blessing you, helping you, whatever, fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship and then to the breaking of bread. Which is just another way of saying communion, right? Next week, next Sunday, God willing, there'll be a communion. And we'll be gathering together. And look what's at the centre of who we are. The gospel. We come because we forget. (laughs) Which is why Jesus said, remember. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Because I don't know about you, but you know. I forget, I need reminding. Oh yeah, that's right. (gasps) That's amazing what God has done for me in Christ. I come and I gather and I'm shaped As I take this bread and drink this cup and remember the gospel and trust in Jesus, afresh, I'm being shaped by Jesus from heaven now through the things that he's left for us to gather. And then to prayers. Devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. And clearly this is not speaking about just personal prayer, which is a good thing and and important, but I think corporate prayers if they're devoting themselves together, then it's prayers together like we had this morning. Prayers with others, prayers that express and enjoyed being uh, who they are now, brought to life by Jesus. Now, we're not told especially what they're praying about, but there are some prayers coming up in Acts. Prayers of deep thankfulness to God for their salvation. Prayers of deep joy to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Prayers of deep dependence on God. Prayers for one another to glorify God with their lives, no matter what happens. And we're told in verse 47 that they were praising God. So there'd be prayers of praise. And clearly God is giving them favour with the community around them, at least at this point. So again, they devoted themselves to these things. But do you notice... Gospel is shaping all this? It didn't just happen. It's not just that they gritted their teeth and, you know, kind of white knuckled the Christian life again, but, but no, no, the gospel's having its way. It's bearing fruit. It's shaping them as a people, and it's meant to shape the church. Not just to bring the church to life, but then shape the church's life. That's the second thing we see this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I really love penguins. I have two birds that are my favourites. One is a blue wren, uh, and the other are these guys. And uh, there's all sorts of reasons why I like them, but I do like the way they do community. Um, They seem to do it pretty well. Um, And every community has a culture, doesn't it? Or a DNA, so to speak, something that shapes it, something that's at the centre of it, something that defines it and propels it in a particular direction. And they clearly have a whole bunch of reasons why they're together None, not least that it's blooming cold wherever they are and so they they tighten up and look after the little ones and then i think you know, when one guy on the outside gets a bit cold it's like okay guys it's time to swap and they all swap around and take their turn on the outside uh dealing with the weather that's bursting down on them uh, for us as a church it's to be the gospel it's to be the gospel the good news of jesus that which has brought life to us in the first place And that was to shape our lives going forward. So as we conclude then, let's ask the question of ourselves, as I ask it of myself. Does the word devoted describe how I think about church and how I engage with the people of God? Am I resolved... About this Is this an unanswered question or a question that I answer week by week? Or have I resolved it once and for all and decided to be resolute about it once and for all? Convinced of my need of it as one of God's people. Another question we could ask is this. What's shaping the, the contours and the trajectory of my life? Because... Don't, don't think something isn't because something is. Maybe a number of things are. The question is, is it the gospel? Or have other things kind of pushed their way in and they're shaping me and shaping my decisions and my priorities and my passions and what I want and what I pursue and where I put my energy and time and finances and so on? Is it the gospel or is it something else? And lastly, do you see how central Jesus must be in our lives individually and especially together as the people of God? I mean, seriously, think about the final picture that we get in Revelation. John says he looked and he saw a great multitude that no one could number. From every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. And I think we can add, not that we're adding to the Bible, but from every age. And what's at the heart of them? We're told they're gathered around the throne. And on the throne is a lamb, the Lord Jesus. Who is slain for sinners. Who is also a lion. Who is royal and regal and powerful and awesome. I think is what Peter said. God has made him. Both Lord and Christ. Whom you crucified. Will we pray? Father. We've just been kind of uh, dipping around really in the magnificence and the enormity of what you have done through Jesus and what you are continuing to do through his name in your world, through your people across every age and every nation and even here among us. Father, would you lift our eyes this morning to see the grace of Christ towards us. It was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. And yet he offers us forgiveness. And more than that, he offers us the very presence of God in our lives by your Spirit. Father, what grace is this? Lord, we also ask that you would lift our view of and our understanding of and our love for your church, not the building, not the location. But those who you have brought to life and brought together through your son. And even today as we're here this morning, you may well add someone to the number today. Someone who might just be seeing Jesus clearly for the first time and want to know what I need to do to experience his salvation, his rescue, his forgiveness. His love. We've seen it clearly here. just need to turn to him and trust in him. Turn from whatever we've been hoping in and put all our hope in him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are risen and reigning and returning. You are at work even now. Give us confidence as we leave this place, as we step into the week ahead, wherever you have us. Whether it's workplaces, whether it's home, whether it's schools, uh, unis, wherever you've got us. Give us confidence that you are with us and that you desire to work through us for your glory, for our good and for the good of others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.